Welcome to the Women in Procurement podcast, the intersection between procurement functions and the women professionals that drive them forward. I'm Stacey Jocelyn, and today we're sharing our chocolate and our tea with Jamie Alderman, a category management coach and networking enthusiast. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to this first edition of the Women in Procurement podcast. We are joined today by Jamie Alderman, who is a senior group manager of procurement services here at WNS Denali. And we'll be talking all about being a woman in procurement. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And on the first podcast, it's exciting. Very excited. We've got our chocolate, we've got our tea, and we're ready to roll, correct? I love it. All good self-care items. Exactly. Yes. Very good which we'll move into later on as well. So have a couple of questions for you, and we could just kind of make this you know, free flow depending on what we want to get into. My first question for you is, in the first place, how did you get into procurement? Great question. I, this is one of my favorite networking questions. How did, how did people land in procurement? I, when I went to undergraduate school at Penn State, they offered a business logistics degree and that was the closest that I could get to supply management at the time. Uh, so I, I actually did my undergraduate in business logistics. I did an internship for a local transit authority and realized that I did not like transportation specifically. So when I went back to school, my advisor was actually one of the teachers for a negotiation class. And it turns out he, he ended up working at Institute for Supply Management later, full-time also. So I really, I liked him. I liked the class. And I realized that I, I still like supply management. I just didn't like transportation. And toward the end, they started offering more supply management classes because they were starting to create that concentration and later became a, a degree at Penn State. But uh, I've, I definitely found my passion so I was lucky enough to get get a job. I did temp to perm, and I, I got a job in at Mellon Financial in the sourcing group. So not only did I, I start out in my studies in, uh, in supply management, but I ended up getting my first job in supply management. And I've been there ever since, just continuing to grow my career. I did go back and got my MBA uh, with a concentration in supply management. So that I'm one of the people that actually started in supply management and has stayed. And that's, that's not common, right? So to have that many years seizing yourself in the same field. Spot on. Yeah. When I, when I ask people how they land in, in procurement, most people say that they, they did not start in procurement or not with that intention because the schools didn't really have that focus or concentration in supply management until I don't, I don't want to say how old I am, but just <laughs> until I started going to school. Uh, and now, now it's a lot more schools offer that as a degree, as a, that just didn't really exist before. So that was kind of where people ended up when there was not anywhere else in the company to go. Yeah. I remember finding that out kind of midstream through my career when I started to have direct reports and, and I would look at the resumes and see that they studied sourcing in college. I thought, wow, that's, that's different. But um, yeah, but straight from the get-go. So I guess we'll go out of order here. And that kind of begs my next question. Being in the field for so long, you've had a bird's eye view of what has changed 
in procurement, but also what has changed for women in procurement. So I'd like to start out by asking, what was the field like for you as a woman in procurement when you first started out? And then, and what are some of those things that have changed for the better, not for the better in in any way that you'd like to discuss? Yeah. When I started out, uh, I saw, I saw women in softer, more tactical procurement roles. Cause again, people landed there. That wasn't the intention. And it was more of a tactical group too. It wasn't, it wasn't yet gaining the strategic experience that, that we see more of now and that, that I actually like more now. But now I've seen the evolution, seeing more women that actually have the intention of, of having procurement roles and liking procurement and um, finding that as their, their career development path. And they're performing those strategic functions, showing how procurement is, can benefit the bottom line and not just be the tactical processing of orders or contracts, whatever you know, that looks like today. Interestingly enough, too, I also see more women in our counterparts in the sales roles than previously. You know, that's that's typically a male-dominated area. So now when I'm negotiating, I'm sometimes negotiating with women too, which is an interesting, it's interesting to see that as well. How do you think the the experience of being a woman procurement professional and procurement leader is different now? Than it was before. It, is it easier? Is it in challenging more ways? Are there more opportunities? What are your thoughts on that? There's definitely more opportunities. You see more women in the chief procurement officer roles, uh, and it's interesting how they how they've landed in those roles as well. But similar to CEOs, you see more women in the in those business C suite roles. And when I started out, I, I don't remember seeing that many. Of course, I didn't have that much experience in different companies. Plus, some of the companies I've worked in are traditionally more male-oriented as well. You know, just the fields themselves, they're more engineering-focused, which tends to be more male-oriented. So I do think it's easier for women to get into procurement now because there have been other other women that have led that path and shown, demonstrated the skill set and the value that can be had by procurement as a whole, not so much. I don't know if it's so much gender specific because men equally are capable of doing the same thing, but I do think it's easier for women to move into the role now than when I started. And the fact of a, of a female CPO being celebrated, I'm totally with you on that. Anytime that I've worked with one or seen one be nominated or be put into that role on LinkedIn, it's it's always something to celebrate. And I, I agree with you. I think it's it's moving into other industries that have historically been more male dominated as well. So it's it's wonderful to see that. Yeah. And when I started there weren't that many CPOs just to begin with. And but now that's becoming more prominent that, that that's something that a company sees and values that need needs to be present having a CPO. And you said something a few minutes ago about skill sets that women women bring to the table. How, in your view, does that speak to leadership roles in this function? We are seeing more leadership, more women in those leadership roles, for sure. Uh, But in general, 
there's more leadership opportunities from procurement into other areas of the business because uh, in in procurement especially we're the cross functional we have we have more visibility across the entire organization because we work with the different cross functions of a company so we gain more of that experience and exposure with the different stakeholders and the different teams so it's it's a natural fit if people are interested in that career path going into other areas within a company i i think it's it's easier for procurement to move into those other roles depending like not all the time can procurement move into like an engineering role but we're seeing more people move into procurement too from those other roles because they have a better understanding of what procurement is doing and the skill set is a soft skill set for for procurement so for for other areas they can build those skills in the role or as they're working with procurement as well. So there's more of a ramp, there's more of a broadening of that opportunity. Yeah. Versus when you first got into this at Mellon um, five years ago, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, by the way. So, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so, on the flip side, what do you think are still some some challenges, right? So, there's been a lot of growth. There's been a lot of development. There's been a lot of evening of the field when it comes to senior level roles, when it comes to compensation, et cetera. Um, and I, that's such a trite phrase, seat at the table, right? But um, that too. But I think there are probably still some challenges out there that we need to work on in, in the coming years. What do you see that is still out there? Which What obstacles that still need to be knocked down? Yeah, spot on. There are still some male-dominated industries or companies. Uh, I worked at a power generation company after after I left Mellon. I went to a power generation company, and it's it seems trite to use your word, but I realized that I was quickly left out because I didn't golf, and that could have that could have been an age thing. It could have been a gender. Th- I don't know, but I I realized all of my my male uh, peers were in the summertime, they disappeared, especially on Fridays, but definitely in the afternoons, they were out golfing with suppliers, with each other. And I, I definitely felt left out. So I, I learned to golf. <laughs> I started playing. And I, I realized that some of the business conversations still do happen on the golf course too. So I realized quickly that there were not very many women that were golfing when, cause I would go to tournaments. I got invited to tournaments as I was golfing and there just weren't that many women. And I would see the same two or three women that were typically suppliers. They, they weren't even my coworkers and, and it, whether it helped or hurt, but my focus has been in contingent labor and engineering services, which is typically, it has been more male dominated, but definitely seeing more women enter those, those areas in those fields. Um, so it was tough to demonstrate category knowledge with with those, especially when you're talking about engineers. But it, it's tough, you know, as a woman. There, there's already that mindset separating the the gender roles. Yeah, yeah. So we have these opportunities where we're celebrating when we see this leadership, but sometimes it's still the exception versus the the rule in some industries. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. When we talk about the the gifts of 
of a woman professional. One thing that folks mention a lot is ability to multitask, um, communication skills, things like that. But I want to focus on ability to multitask because that kind of takes us into another segment of the conversation, which is life work balance. We talk about it a lot. We we have these comments, you know, at least in my circle of, of women professional friends, mm-hmm. we say, I should a lot <laughs> or I need to in the new year, I, I intend to a lot, but such a, such an important piece of our lives. So in your career thus far, what has been your recipe for life work balance? How do you separate the two things? How do you disconnect? Can you give us some some info on on how you do that. Yeah. Uh, so going back to your comment around multitasking, it's interesting because I've heard there there's a gender bias there too mm-hmm. that women are better at multitasking. But I found at least not for me that's true. I don't think any of us are really good at multitasking. You can only focus on one thing at a time. I people who say they're good at multitasking, I want to know their secrets because <laughs> I don't. I haven't <laughs> quite perfected that. Um, but it's in the life work balance that comes up all the time. Uh, it's interesting. It's even more interesting now because we live where we work and we work where we live, where we're, we're remote. Uh, we're lucky enough that we have roles that we're still remote and it's definitely changed even during COVID. But prior to that, we were working from home and I've seen the evolution of the change of how I separate work from, from home because it it's life altogether work and home it's all life so it's not really I don't see it as a balance it's more of figuring out how to separate them or how to make sure that they don't intertwine quite as much because I I struggle when they when they bleed over into each other that's where I see I have more problems like I I get short with the kids I'm yelling at them when I have a tough day at work and I'm trying not to do that as much so I miss the commuting to and from the office because that was a good separation of time. And I would decompress on the the ride to and from work. Um, I took the train instead of driving. So I would read and it just helped with that separation. And at the beginning of COVID, I I would end work and then I would I would read for a bit and then I would walk and, and work out and then I would I would start dinner or whatnot. But as time has evolved during this period that we're home, I tend to work longer and then I'm, I'm going straight into cooking dinner. Sometimes other things have to suffer as a result of that. Just it gets busy sometimes and you don't get to have that, that self care time. So more recently in the last uh, six months or so, I've really been trying to focus on that self care piece. And I, I've tried multitude of things. I still try a multitude of things, but I try to take at least one day a month to focus on self-care. Uh, but every day I do little pieces of self-care that I just have that downtime to myself. And I do different things to, to get that done each day. So it's a variety. So it's not always the same thing. Yeah. And sometimes it's time oriented. It depends on on the day and what I'm doing and what I need to get done with that self-care. Sometimes I read, sometimes I do some uh, artistic or craft type thing, you know, to just have some outlet and something that 
I know I can do, that I have confidence in myself that I can do. Um, sometimes it's just lighting a candle and having, you know, the scent. It's all different. It have some chocolate like you started out with. Um, so yeah, it's all, it depends on the day, <laughs> what I need and what I can do. <laughs> Sometimes I light incense downstairs in my house. My cats hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, but it's all about you. And I, uh, self-care is actually one of my favorite. I love talking about different types of self-care and what people do because it's different for everybody. What they, what they, you know, try to involve all the senses, but sometimes we forget about some of the senses. And it can be, it can be a, a small thing, right? To your point about the candle. Just that mindfulness yeah. of, of smelling the candle brings you back from this meeting and this PowerPoint deck and this difficult conversation and, and just brings you into the moment, um, yeah. which can be really sometimes, helpful. Sometimes it's just putting on some music and dancing around the room just to have a few minutes of release. And, but like you said, it, it brings, brings a memory back or it brings some connection sometimes. But yeah. 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 And I think that's really especially important now because you know, I'm, I'm remote, you're remote and we have to kind of separate, separate it. You know, there's only a floor between where the office is and where the, the rest of our lives are. And um, it's just so easy to your point to have them. I like the way you said that to have them bleed across each other. So just making that priority to have self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Cause it's easy to do. It's easy to let them bleed into each other and you have to be more intentional about separating them. That said, I did not take a train. So I, I still am very glad I don't have to commute. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the train. Actually, it was, like I said, I used it as a decompression and a separation between the two. Uh, but it, it did take more time to do that too. True. I, I love trains. Yeah. yeah. New York area. That was so, so nice. So nice. Oh, it's not that fancy in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but but still, just the idea of the nice, gentle movement and, you know, you don't yeah. have to drive and deal with whichever tunnel it is in Pittsburgh that you're nearby. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I have one more formal question for you. And yeah. we can talk about anything else that you'd like that is, is on your mind. But my last formal question is, what advice would you have to our women colleagues who are just starting their procurement journeys now? Uh, my best advice is to be curious, ask questions to seek knowledge, understanding, expand skill set. I'm a I'm very passionate about networking. I have lots of passions. I'm very passionate about networking. So definitely build your network. It helps to find knowledge, challenge ideas or solutions, uh, connect opportunities, things like that. And find your trusted circle so that you can share challenges and ideas in a safe space. You can ask the top questions and be able to vent in that safe space. So the, I actually had three pieces of advice. <laughs> be curious, build your network, and find a trusted circle. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All about community, right? Exactly. Beautiful. And don't forget the chocolate and the candles. Yes. Oh, that's actually, yes. So four pieces of advice. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with us today? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, and we've already touched on it, but 
procurement is being recognized as a more key function in companies than it used to be. Um, so as we talked about, it used to be where people landed when they didn't know where else to, to place someone, whether it didn't work out or they didn't want to get rid of the person. A multitude of reasons why people landed in procurement. But there are so many opportunities in procurement now than, than that time where it started out, especially if you're passionate about procurement. Um, it's a growing network that you can quickly connect because that's what we do in procurement. We help connect people. That goes back to the whole networking uh, within a company with all functions. And you get to use those skill sets for your own personal development uh, to connect yourself across the functions, across companies, across different industries. I really think procurement's in a space now that it's it's an exciting area to be in and definitely to to grow your career. Yeah, well said, well said. Thank you so much for your insights and your time today. It's been lovely hanging out with you and let's have some more chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Procurement podcast. For more insightful tips and discussions from procurement people for procurement people, follow us on LinkedIn at WNS Denali.